0: opportunity to celebrate two things, St. Mary and Transfiguration. The eve of uh, the feast is the the beginning of the feast. So the Feast of Transfiguration will be, God willing, tomorrow morning. But as we know, everything in our church begins the night before. That's why the Gospel reading in the Vespers was from the Gospel of St. Luke the account of the transfiguration from the Gospel of St. Luke. All the hymns were also focused on the transfiguration, and then God willing, tomorrow there will be more because it's the, the actual feast day. So the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ can also be fitted or adapted to our two ways. Our two ways that we've covered this two weeks have been very, like, special I I personally benefited so much from a lot of the messages. I hope you feel the same way this year. I feel like I got a big blessing from understanding the two ways. I may just give you a few to think about through uh, this reflection on the Transfiguration. I'm gonna give a few that you can maybe keep in mind as you hear uh, some teachings about the Transfiguration. Of course, light and darkness is the two ways in this one of the transfiguration. Of course, there's also gonna be a few other themes that I hope you can also like to maybe think and reflect on. The created and the uncreated, the old and the new, and the changing and the unchanging. So by God's grace, we're gonna spend some time reflecting on the transfiguration. The transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ is probably the most captivating concept in Christianity. It's one of the most very, like, strong scenes, very powerful, strong scene that we see in the gospel, not like anything else we've seen in the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ's miracles or uh, divine acts. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is always God and man together, always, at all times, but there are certain times where he does something so much that reveals so much of his power and his divinity, and in this case, The transfiguration is one of them. Another name for the transfiguration is metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. It's actually a scientific word. Metamorphosis, you have um, what it means is a transformation or a change in the shape. So uh, in zoology, in zoology, if you study this in school, uh, it applies to insects or amphibians. So like two examples that you can think of are like the butterfly and the frog. Before you have a butterfly, you have like a worm, and then it gets into a cocoon, and then it becomes a butterfly. So that's a metamorphosis. That's a transformation. That's a change. That's something God shows us in the creation. He shows us that it's possible to transform a little worm going from this... Ugly insects to a beautiful butterfly. The same thing with um, the frog. Before you have a frog, you have something like a tadpole. And these things develop and transform into a frog. Our church puts the Feast of the Transfiguration as one of the seven minor feasts. It doesn't put it as one of the seven great feasts. Although I think it should, well, it's not for me to think anything, but it's so special in my humble opinion, that I would put it on the top of the seven minor feasts. Like, if we can just put it all the way on the top, I would say that's really important. Because the feast of the transfiguration gives us great insight into the Christian life. We want to change. We want to transform. We want to have a metamorphosis of our own. The whole Christian life is about transformation and changing wouldn't it be a beautiful thing to think of ourselves like like a tadpole becoming a frog I think the the worm becoming becoming a butterfly is a better example because it's something beautiful at the end that flies and it's beautiful to behold and to look at so the Christian what are we transforming from what are we what are we going from sinners to hopefully saints um from unbelievers to believers, from doing one sin to another virtue, from going the wrong way to going the right way, from going from darkness into light, from doing old things and then now doing new things. And there's so many ways to think about how to transform. In the Transfiguration, you have the Mount Tabor, Mount Tabor. And Mount Tabor is also a very beautiful image or symbol of what we all need to do as Christians. We need to ascend. We need to climb a spiritual mountain. Uh, So many examples of how mountains are important in the Bible. Moses went up the mountain. The Lord Jesus Christ went up in the mountains when he wanted to spend time to pray and to withdraw himself from the crowd. So the mountain for the Christian is a spiritual symbol. So to transform to change our life, we need to go through a a process that's challenging. And the transformation works in that way. So we wanna think about what's happening in the story of the Transfiguration. What's happening? You have three disciples, John, James, and Peter. And then you have the Lord Jesus Christ, and then Moses and Elijah. You have the icon here, you can look at it the whole time to help you kind of imagine what's happening. And it's a revelation. It's a powerful, dramatic scene. It's very different than the epiphany of the Lord Jesus Christ in the River Jordan, where you have uh, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ going in the River Jordan and John the Baptist, John the Baptist, the Baptist baptizing the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you're hearing a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. You also hear in the transfiguration, this is my beloved son. So there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of things that are very similar between the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ and the transfiguration. Transfiguration, though, is a very powerful scene. So the transfiguration is all about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's also about the revelation of God, and the passion of Christ that was going to come. It's about these three things. I love to look at the Gospels side by side, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you put them side by side, and you compare the Transfiguration story in each one, it's very diff- it's very different actually. Not to confuse us, but to give us great insight. This. This uh, evening we heard it from Luke, um, but in Matthew it says six days, and in in Luke it says eight days. There's a difference in days. It says that in Mark his garments became glistening and intensely white. It says that no bleacher, no one who does like laundry that can clean clothes, can make it that white. That's the Example given in Mark, and Moses and Elijah are there. Peter wants to make three booths or altars, but they're afraid. Then there's a cloud, and that's where you hear the voice. This is my beloved Son, and Christ is then alone. And then they are seeing mountains fall. That's what they see. And then at the end, it says, "Tell no one. Don't tell anyone." And this is also something so important. How come I see God in all of his glory and all of his power? And then he says, don't tell anyone. Doesn't he want everyone to know that he is God? I'm sure he wants everyone to know, but he wants them to know at the right time. So he tells them, wait, don't tell anyone yet. In Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says his face looked like the sun, S-U-N. And his garments were like light, L I G H T. Okay, like the light. And then St. Peter says, Is it okay for here? Is it good for us to be here? Peter likes the idea of being there. He says, Let's build some altars, making it seem like I want to stay here with you and I want to dwell with you. Um, and then in Luke, it says, They fell asleep. These are all very different things that are happening. But in the end, what's happening in the transfiguration is a very amazing scene of God's glory. In the other accounts of the transfiguration, you have Peter continuing because he was there. Peter was there in the event of the transfiguration. So in his epistle, he wrote something about it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16-19, through 19, he says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice. This is what he's saying in his epistle. So Peter is saying, I heard this voice. We heard this voice. Because that, that came from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. We were with him there. And then he says, it was like a lamp shining in the dark place. It's like this lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in your hearts so this is really like important because you have more reflection coming from from saint peter because he was there what's amazing though is john was there too but john can't find anything about john saying anything about the transfiguration the transfiguration for john is not to be found whether it's in his gospel or in his epistles we have another very interesting source from the other tradition of the church. The church has something called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha has more inf- like, additional information that's actually part of the tradition of the church. Actually, I want to tie it to St. Mary. In St. Mary's uh, teaching in the church, we, we believe in things like Uh, Her being in the temple at a certain age and that she was fed by angels and things like that. Can you find that in the gospel? No. It's in a source, an apocrypha source called the Proto-Evangelion of James. But we believe in that. The church believes in that. Um, Something like the Lord Jesus Christ descended into Hades. Is that in the gospels? Can you find that? No. But we believe that when we come on Bright Saturday, we we do do a whole... uh, procession around the church. We believe in this whole thing about the Lord Jesus Christ descending into Hades. Uh, So we get information from a source, an Ethiopian source called the Apocalypse of Peter. And in the Apocalypse of Peter, this was actually read in the second century in many churches in Palestine. So we call it like a semi-canonical book. And then, of course, the practice stopped but I, I don't want to read it because it's very long, but I want to highlight a few things. It says that the 12 disciples were there. It doesn't say just three, Peter, John, and James. It says all of them were there. And they asked a question. They asked, so where's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? How come just Moses and Elijah? And so God shows them the rest of heaven, all the fathers, and they all wanted to stay there, but then they couldn't. And basically, that's how you get the idea that something that Peter did was wrong. Remember when Peter was with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to wash their feet and then he said, no. And then the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked him. He said to him, like, you know, get behind me, Satan. So Peter has a similar sort of, Uh, way in this event with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Transfiguration. We have to think about what's being said here. What's the message that the Church is trying to give us? What is the Lord Jesus Christ trying to show us? We have a chance to look at God in all of His glory. At times when we pray, when we come into contact with God, We are so afraid because of his might and his power. And he gives them a chance to be in that presence of God, in that full glory. St. Peter didn't know what to say or what to do. He didn't know what to say or what to do because of how powerful of an experience it was. And I think that's one of the highest points in spirituality. Uh, one of the most powerful points in spirituality is not to say anything and it's not to do anything. Sometimes we feel like we have to say and we have to do things. But to be in front of God is everything. If you just sit there for a moment and you think about what we're doing and just stop and slow down. And just think for a moment about what the spiritual life is about it's not really about God wanting us to do anything. Of course He wants us to do good things, and He wants us to worship Him, and praise Him, and glorify Him. But sometimes it's best to just stop. There's nothing like hearing God in the silence. There's nothing like experiencing a dark cloud cover you and still feel confused. Like the fathers or the saints, they call it the cloud of unknowing. Like, basically, this cloud is like a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's confusing. A cloud is like a dark thing, right? How is there darkness in the midst of all of this light? It's one of those things that really throws us off. A lot of the church fathers wrestled with what was happening here. So the bright cloud is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get into mythology but sometimes it's important to get into it. Zeus. There's a lot of accounts of Zeus appearing to uh, his uh, people. He is a god. Of course, not our god, but he is a Greek god. And a lot of times he appeared in thunder and lightning. And many times when he appeared in thunder and lightning, the people died. There was no chance for them to survive in the presence of His greatness. But our encounter with the light doesn't kill us, doesn't destroy us. It shows God's great mercy and His chance for us to like stand in front of Him. You know, we take communion, we pray, we come into contact with very powerful things, very strong things. And sometimes we, we don't understand how powerful they are, but in reality they are Everything that you can imagine when it comes to power and strength and glory of God. In Exodus chapter 33 verse 20, it says, For no man shall see God and live. For no man shall see God and what? Live. So for God to let us see his light, for God to let us stand in his presence, for God to give us such a beautiful example of what it means to transform and to become radiant like him. It's a great privilege. It's a great privilege of the Christian to understand that we are supposed to be like imitators of Christ. Again, metamorphosis, it's transformation. In philosophy, Plato said something really interesting, and a lot of Christian thinkers adopted this thought. He said, behind every reality is a greater reality. Like this podium here, to me, this is a reality. But God has something more real than this podium that actually exists. Anything I experience in life, anything I think is so real and so powerful, take that and multiply it by a million. Because the reality of God is even more greater than all these created things. God is the creator. This is all creation. So God is giving these disciples, he's giving us Christians a chance to come into contact with the uncreated, with the unfathomable, with the unknowable, with that, with the unsearchable. That's what we pray in the liturgy. We say, God, you're unsearchable, you're unknowable. We're seeing that you can we can't know you, but somehow we still can come into contact with you. And a lot of the fathers, like Origen, he says, we have to go up this high mountain. This high mountain is from Psalm 89. Verse 12, Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in your name. That's what Origen is saying. We also believe that this was so important to locate the place because we have St. Helen who built a church there in the 4th century. The holy places are important for us. And I think we need to give time to reflect on the, the depth of like what God is giving us in our life. God is giving us so many gifts and so many things to spend time on and think about so that we could transform our lives. Our lives are His. He He also gave us uh, another idea here. You have Moses and Elijah to the left and to the right of Christ. These represent the prophets and the law, the law and the prophets. Which means that God is preparing the, the way through. All of the Old Testament prophets and the laws. So this is the spiritual journey. To make your way to Christ, to make your way to the Gospel, you have to go through the Old Testament. I'm almost done. I want to say that the transfiguration is very important for us, because his garments that, that were like light, th- these are the words of God. It's origin, uh, one of the most amazing biblical interpreters, he says that we should see that the garments that are white like the sun, that are like light, they are actually the words of God. They are the gospel message. So for us, we think about like how we read the Bible, how we hear the word of God. We need very much to just stop and think for a moment before we like read the Bible or we hear, hear the word of God. The Word of God is like a garment that is full of light that we put on. And so many of the church fathers, like St. Macarius from Egypt, and St. Gregory, and St. Um, Gregory of uh, Nyssa, many of the church fathers, they said something about a theology of light. They started talking about how God is light. right? Uh, we are the sons of light. So... Our prayers, our fasting, our experience with God is all about coming into, the, into contact with the Son of righteousness, right? Like it says in, in Malachi. We have so many beautiful things in our faith and our walk with God that should give us more and more desire to become like a vessel, like a lamp, like a lantern that carries the light of God. So the transfiguration is a metamorphosis, a change, a transformation. So think more about how you want to change. And we use this word all the time in the church, repentance. We want to repent, time of fasting. Even if it's like a joyful fast, like for St. Mary, it's a time to just say, I want to change my way. I want to change my direction. I think after these two weeks, right, it's very possible to have heard so many things about how we're going the wrong way, right, because everything was about the two ways. So you had so many talks and we've had so many examples of how we're going the wrong way. We're going the wrong direction. What do we have to do? We have to go the right way. It's so simple. And I think the, the thing that makes us realize we have to change is the light. When when the light bulb goes off that means we see, we understand, we want to change because we understand that where we're going is not the right way. So it's just that simple. We have to see that this is what God is really working in us at this time. Take the right way, go the right way. Enough of uh, going in the wrong direction and and keep your eyes on the goal and hear the voice of God. And make sure you care very much about this point of arriving at your destination, which is God. If we get to God, we got everything. If we, if we go the wrong way and we wind up somewhere else, we lost. So our goal, our destination is the kingdom of heaven. And I feel like St. Peter felt like if you catch a glimpse of heaven, would you ever want to leave? If you got to see some light, would you ever want to get out of that light? I think it's very hard if you really experience something so out of this world like God, it's very hard to go back. And I know you know this because once you've experienced something good in this life, you're hooked on it, right? And you can't get out of it, right? How come the forces against us are stronger sometimes, we feel, than the force of good that's in us? There's a very strong force that should be pulling us towards God once we experience it will begin to understand. The psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So taste and see means experience God, and then you'll understand backwards. You'll understand retrospectively. You'll understand later. Moses, you know, Peter didn't understand. And it's okay. It's okay for you not to understand now. But one day you'll understand and you'll say, ah, I get it. And that will be the best feeling ever. But you'll you'll be thankful that you stayed on the path. You don't have to understand everything now. But one day you'll look back and you'll say, I understand understand everything. And that's the beauty of our faith. Our faith is experience and then God willing, understanding. He will teach us all things later. And that's the beauty of our faith. May God give us the true light and the experience of the transfiguration in our lives, in our prayers. And glory be to God forever.